As I said, I want to continue in this message series in Matthew, and we've been talking about life with Jesus and what that means, and we're using Matthew to do that. So this study in Matthew is going to be looking through the entire book, but we're not going to be reading chapter by chapter. We're going to be reading section by section, and so we did cover chapters 1 through 4 and got to verse 11 or so. I'll just briefly touch on the end of chapter 4, but we're actually looking at this morning chapters 5 through 7. And as I said, I'm not going to read all of 5 through 7. We're going to kind of break it up a little bit. That was something you did. I know you did this at home this past week. You read Matthew 5 through 7. If you didn't, I encourage you to read it this week. Because as I said, we got some more sections to cover next week. But it's after I'm done sharing what I think Jesus is saying here about life with him and in his kingdom, maybe it'd be helpful to read through that again, because really, this, what is often referred to as the Sermon on the Mount, uh, Matthew 5 through 7, is a, is a big discourse or teaching that Jesus gives to his disciples and says, hey, if you want to be a part of this kingdom, this is what life is going to look like in this kingdom. So it seems like it's important for us to know that same thing. What does life look like in Jesus' kingdom? His teaching, while it seems like, yeah, everybody should think this, and why would this be weird to, to put into practice in our lives? But as you follow Jesus' life throughout Matthew, we see that his teaching isn't as popular as what it ought to be. And what we actually find is life with Jesus doesn't make you super popular as you walk with him. And certainly for the disciples in their case, when they enter Jerusalem, as we get closer to Easter, and how just unpopular they were and how unpopular Jesus is. So that kind of is brought out in Matthew. And before we get there, I just want to kind of set things up for you. After last week, we talked about the testing of Jesus and life with Jesus can be a test at times. Um, and we talked about that and the, why we have the saying, when it rains, it pours, and it feels that way as sometimes as Christians. But that kind of ends that portion of kind of preparation and background before Jesus gets to his public ministry. So that's what chapter 4 Verse 12 to the end of the chapter is about Jesus' public ministry. We, we meet some of his disciples. Jesus uses the same words that John the Baptist used when he starts preaching, which is repent for the kingdom of God is near. And then we see what that means. What does it mean that the kingdom of God is near? And so the map that I have up there for you, you're going to hear these places. These are geographical locations in Israel. In Israel. Syria would be like up here. You're going to hear that word. But as Jesus is doing his public ministry, all these different places, people are hearing about it. Crowds are gathering. And when I read this in just a minute, you'll understand why these crowds are gathering. And so if Jesus says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near, well, well, how do we know that, Jesus? How do we know the kingdom of heaven is near? And so Jesus' public ministry is going to show you that the kingdom of heaven is near. And you'll see it. Well, we'll read it. They actually saw it through this ending of chapter 4, right before Jesus starts teaching about the kingdom. 
Jesus went throughout Galilee, I had that up there on the map for you, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. So he is publicly speaking now. He'll go to a synagogue on uh, Saturday and he'll teach and he'll preach and he'll speak about this good news that the kingdom is near, the kingdom is at hand. And how do we know that he has the authority to say that? Well, as he's speaking and preaching, it also says, and healing every disease and sickness among the people. News about him spread all over Syria, and all people, br- and, and people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases, those suffering severe pain, the demon-possessed, those having seizures, and the paralyzed, and he healed them. It's no surprise that large crowds from Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and the region across the Jordan followed him. That map that I showed you, all these people from all over Israel started gathering around Jesus. I'm sure you can imagine why. Just imagine that now. Whatever sickness, illness, disease you have, you go to this man He touches you, he says a word, whatever, and you're healed. I'm sure there's lots of crowds gathering around Jesus. So much so that at times they were pressing in on him so hard that the disciples whisked him away because of all the people coming to him. Now you would think, when I just said life with Jesus, it's not a popularity contest or it's not about being popular. It's not about that. And yet Jesus was kind of, that was who he was. Jesus could have had a pretty big following if that's what he would have stuck to. But then Jesus starts teaching about this kingdom. Life with Jesus is not about popularity. That's what he's going to be showing his disciples. That's what Matthew's going to teach us. Because Jesus is setting up this alternate kingdom. An alternative society within the one we find ourselves. And this alternative society, this countercultural society, is going to look a lot different than the one you're living in, disciples. And I'm suggesting to us, I think it's pretty obvious, it's going to look a lot different than the one we find ourselves in as well. What Jesus is about to do is not just set up some ethical standard of living, like the ethics code. These are, this is what it means to be ethical. And this teaching that Jesus gives is used lots of places. If you have a philosophy class in college, you might hear this. Jesus' teaching is quoted by many people who were not Christians. There's something powerful about this teaching that Jesus is giving. But what he is doing for his disciples is not saying, I'm giving you an ethics lesson. He's talking to them about life. What I'm teaching you is going to transform and change your life. This is really... A heart thing, not just a checkoff list, not just, oh, this is what it means to be ethical. What I'm teaching you is going to change your life. A follower of mine is going to be committed to this teaching. And so it says in uh, chapter 5 of that uh, verse 1, now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down And his disciples came to him and he began to teach. He began to teach them about a different kingdom. One that he was inaugurating. It has come. The kingdom Jesus is setting up. 
So it, he's going to hill country, and it's not like he sat on a mountain and he's teaching them. It's in the hill country, and he brings his disciples, and what most likely happened is Jesus sits down because it's a rocky hill country, sits down on a rock, and he just starts talking to them. This is what this alternative society looks like. Because you're going to hear and see a lot of things, and you already have heard and seen a lot of things in the one you're living in. I'm going to teach you about the one that I'm setting up. And it's going to look a lot different, and this is how you're going to feel. Now, he doesn't actually say this is how you're going to feel. But since we've read this before, we know this is what starts to happen. And if you've been striving to live as a part of Jesus' kingdom, if you're doing life with Jesus, this is how you can feel at times. I shared this image with the ministry council uh, yesterday when I was talking about you know, whether or not we're going to take refuge in God or flee when the going gets tough as Christians. When the things that we think and believe become unpopular, you know, we see that image and it's like, oh, well, that's not a big deal. I want to be that. But what happens when you start being ostracized by your own family? You know, this happened to Jesus himself. What happens when the things you think and believe and start saying kind of makes you out of step with that friend group that you're in or kind of makes things uncomfortable at work? Jesus is giving these guys some teaching about the fact that you're going to start living in this alternative society that's going to kind of start making you feel like this. And he starts that in verse 1 as Jesus brings them to himself. And he starts that by saying the exact opposite of what we all should be pursuing. Like the world says, it's all about your own personal happiness. It's all about having as much power as you can get. Wealth, fame, notoriety, you know, being well-liked by everyone all the things we're supposed to chase after, Jesus says, if you open your Bibles and you're in Matthew, as I said, I'm not going to read all of this, but just as an example, Jesus opens his mouth and he says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now that first section is what we call the Beatitudes. Some of you maybe learned them when you were a kid. We teach those here in our classes um, some of you maybe had to memorize them, but those beatitudes, all those things Jesus is saying is the exact opposite of what the world tells us we ought to be pursuing. Blessed are the poor in spirit who recognize their desperate need for God, who recognize their vulnerability for God. Now, that's not a feeling that we say we ought to have, especially as guys. Vulnerability, desperate need, that I'm not strong enough to do this myself. And yet Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. This teaching that Jesus is giving, this alternate kingdom that he is sharing with his disciples, the one that we're called to be living in, it's going to start to make us feel this way at times. And, and I want to suggest to you that that is growing more and more in the culture in which we find ourselves. The, the pool or the ocean we're swimming in is starting to look a lot 
opposite of the things that Jesus says. And I'm just, you know, using Matthew 5 through 7. You can take all of Scripture and put that into practice. It's starting to feel like you're that red fish swimming in the opposite direction. And yet Jesus is saying, this is the kingdom I'm setting up. You are actually a part of a different kingdom. You're actually a citizen of, of a different kingdom than the one you find yourself in. And the way that we know that, the way that we show that is being poor in spirit, being one who mourns because we'll be comforted. The, the meek, they're going to inherit the earth. The ones who hunger and thirst for righteousness, they'll be filled. The merciful, they'll be shown mercy. The pure in heart, they'll see God. The peacemakers, they'll be children of God. And he goes on to say, blessed are you, count it as like fortunate. It, it's the good life. Jesus is describing the good life here. So we have an image of the good life, what it looks like is this part of it. Blessed are you when people insult you, not really, persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. That's what the Beatitudes are setting up is this good life that Jesus says. In my kingdom, you're going to have this good life. It's going to be so good that even when you're persecuted and people say all kinds of false things about you, insults about you, count it as being blessed. Rejoice even, Jesus says, and be glad because great is your reward in heaven for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You know, the things that you believe, the way that you live, people might make fun of you for that. People might mock you for that. People might stop talking to you for that. That's happened to me already. I've not done anything to be mean to them in any way, but simply because of my beliefs, what I believe about life and following Jesus, that's happened to me. Maybe it's happened to you. Maybe your faith in Christ has caused people that were your friends or loved ones kind of make fun of you and mock you. Jesus says you're living the good life. They did it before. They did it to the prophets who were before you. And as we follow Jesus, they're going to do it to him too. Life with Jesus is not about popularity. It could be. Remember the crowds that are gathering? All the awesome stuff Jesus was, was doing? He could have easily made it about that. But instead, he wanted to tell us what this kingdom that he's setting up looked like. If you've not read it, read Matthew 5. And if you have a Bible that has footnotes in it, read about what those Beatitudes mean. I mean, Matthew 5 through 7, we could spend eight weeks just on those chapters and this teaching Jesus gave. We're trying to get through the whole thing, so we cannot do that, but you can do that on your own. If I'm part of this kingdom that Jesus is setting up, what does it mean to be poor in spirit? What does it mean to thirst for righteousness? Jesus is trying to help us see what life with him is going to look like. I mean, okay, this is the start. Like he just called his disciples. He's sitting down, he's teaching them. And then we're going to follow them through the rest of Matthew. But he's got to start somewhere and he starts with this teaching about the Beatitudes, what life with him looks like. It's not about popularity. It's not about obligation, Jesus is saying. Like just doing the things of the law. Well, the law says, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. And so the Pharisees don't do that, and they don't do that, and they don't do that. 
And the Pharisees, they must be super righteous. Look how great they're keeping the law. Now, maybe we don't have all those laws. We've got our own obligations that we do as Christians living in America, you know. We come to church on Sunday because, you know, maybe I feel obligated to do that. Maybe I give because I feel obligated to do that. Maybe I got to be nice to this person because I feel obligated to do that. We might not have the laws that they have, but we can make Christianity an obligation just like they did. When Jesus is saying life with him is not about obligation. If you read Matthew chapter 5, verse 21, you'll hear him say, You have heard it was said to people long ago. Now that phrase, you have heard it said, he's going to repeat six different times. If you're looking in Matthew chapter 5, he'll do it in verse 21. He'll do it in verse 27. He'll do it in verse 31. He'll do it in verse 33. He'll do it in verse 38. He'll do it in verse 43. Six times, Jesus says, you have heard it said. He's... He's talking about the Torah, the law, the thing that was very important to them, the thing that showed whether or not you were really devoted to God because you kept that law. And so you might say to yourself that, well, I am devoted to God. I kept the law. Jesus says, you've heard it was said to people long ago, long time ago they got the law. Moses was around when they got the law. You shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. Okay, we've heard that before in the Ten Commandments. Don't murder. I've not done that. Check. I'm good. The Pharisees said, check. We're good on that. We've not done that. But so that Jesus could show his followers that it's not about obligation, Jesus kind of talks about what this law is really all about. It's not about whether or not you keep it or not. It's really about this. But I tell you, I know you've heard it said, but Jesus says, I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, raka, which is just a way of saying and showing contempt towards someone else, anyone who does that is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, you fool, not as only answerable to the court, but will be in danger of the fire of hell. Well, I don't know if you've ever been angry with somebody, if you've ever shown contempt with somebody, if you've ever called somebody in a fool in a, in a way that you're, you have m malicious intent in what you're saying. Jesus is saying to his disciples, they're sitting there listening about the kingdom. All right, Jesus, you're setting up this kingdom. What's it like? What's it all about? Well, I know you've learned for a long time that you shouldn't murder, and, and you should. But I want to tell you that in my kingdom, God looks through the act of not murdering straight into your heart. And even if you are angry with your brother or sister, another human being, it's as if you've murdered them. And then so Jesus says, you have heard it said, but I tell you six different times. And the point that I believe Jesus is making is showing those disciples, he is telling all of us, that life with him is not one of obligation. Life with him is about our heart towards him. It's not about being obligated to do something. It's actually about our response to what God has done for us in Christ.
And so if you think about your walk with Jesus, how much of your walk with Jesus is connected to being obligated to do so? We, we lived in a culture, and we talked about this yesterday a little bit, that at one time, if you wanted to run for any kind of public office, borough council, township supervisor, political office, if you wanted to be the principal of a school, if you wanted to hold any kind of office, everybody looked to see whether or not you were a church member. Are they a member of a church somewhere? Because that said something to them. That, that's not the case anymore. We're starting to live in a culture where that is kind of starting to just fade into the past. But it, there's still some of that remaining. When we think about our life with Jesus, you and I walking with Jesus, how much of that is obligation because you think it's the right thing to do? Because the reality is Jesus is saying to his disciples, remember, they're just learning about this kingdom. The reality is Jesus is saying, because God can see right into your heart. And what the obligation creates is actually it creates what happens in the Pharisees. Self-righteousness. So much so that the Pharisees could not see that Jesus was the promised Messiah. Obligation to something or someone does not generate the kind of love that Jesus says you will experience and have as part of his kingdom. So life with Jesus is not about obligation. And Jesus sets that up very clearly to them when he says, you've heard it said, but I tell you. He does that with murder, adultery, divorce, oaths, eye for an eye, love your enemies. As I said, if you didn't read it, read over it again this week. See what Jesus says there. And then think about what kinds of things we set up as obligations. And we can ask ourselves, am I doing something out of obligation? Because life with Jesus isn't about obligation. It's a response ultimately to the end of Matthew. What we sang about. This amazing grace that he has shown to us through the cross. And the life that he calls us to then live. So it's not about popularity, it's not about obligation, it's not about recognition. Chapter 6 in Matthew is that teaching. We've talked about this before. Jesus uses three of the ways in which you as a Jew showed your devotion and piety towards God. Giving, prayer, and fasting. Jesus sets this up in chapter 6. It's not about recognition. It's kind of, it's not about you and your own spiritual superiority over someone else. We live in a culture where everybody tries to make some video that goes viral. They're trying to convince their friend to do something really stupid so that they can get this video to go viral. You know, we've talked about this. We have the word selfie. Everything is about my self-expression and, and me, and that's where the focus is. And even our acts in following Jesus is not about human recognition. 
It's not about human approval. It's not about being recognized. It's not about being spiritual superhero. And Jesus makes that point with his disciples through those three things, the very things that showed, man, that dude's really devoted to God. You see how much he gave? You see how much he prays and he talks about babbling and things like that? You see how much he's starving himself, the fasting piece for God? Actually, Jesus says, be be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others, to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received the reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Now, we're not going to read this for you, but Matthew 6, 19 talks about storing up your treasures in heaven. That reward that you're storing up is your devotion to God that you give simply because you love him. Not because anyone else is going to see it, not because you're going to be recognized for it, simply because you love the Lord. Jesus sums up Matthew 5, verse 1 through Matthew 7, verse 11, with this one standout phrase that used to be plastered all over schools. I don't know if it still is. We know it as the golden rule. The golden rule is, do you know the golden rule? Do unto others. Very good. That's the golden rule. You've all probably remember it from school. That comes from the Bible, just so you know. Lots of other similar rules in other literature was don't do to others what you don't want to have them do to you. Jesus turns it and makes it positive. The way that you want to treat others is the same way that you want to be treated. So in everything, do to others what you would have them do for you. This sums up, that statement Jesus is saying, sums up the law and the prophets, the two pieces of Scripture, the the law, the Torah, and the prophets, all the prophets in the Old Testament. That's how the Jews separated that Scripture. The things I'm telling you sums up everything there. And he just condensed it from Matthew 5, verse 1, to Matthew 7, verse 11. Life with Jesus is about your heart and my heart and our love for God. It's not about popularity. It's not about obligation. It's not about recognition. It's about our desire to love the Lord our God with our heart, mind, soul, and strength, and to love our neighbor as ourself. Now, that seems easy until you actually read it and hear things like, you have heard it said to love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I tell you, love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you. As I said, it'd be helpful if you read through this again. Maybe you already did. If you didn't, read it this week. Those kinds of things, Jesus is saying, this is what life with me looks like. It's not about our own spiritual superiority. It's not about being recognized. And 
Tomorrow we'll do a service for Lois Becker, as I said, and she lived a life not seeking man's approval, accolades from others, but faithfully serving the Lord. And she did it at the church when it was over there and uh, in town, and she did it at the church here. And her life really, I think, is a faithful witness to doing life with Jesus. It's, it's always a pleasure to do, as a pastor, to do services for ladies like Lois. Because she did, not perfectly, she, I didn't say she did it perfectly, but she did do it the way I believe Jesus calls us to do it. Jesus tells his disciples, we're coming to the end of his teaching. And he tells his disciples, you need to respond to what I've just said. And he doesn't mince his words. It's kind of cut and dry, the right and the wrong way in verse 13 of chapter 7. Uh, the true and false prophets, the true and false disciples, and the wise and foolish builder. It's kind of like black and white. You can either do it or you don't have to do it. But you need to respond to this, is what he's telling his disciples. Are you going to choose to do life with me? If so, this is what it's going to look like. Doing life with Jesus, brothers and sisters at Grace Church, means we're going to strive not to hate our fellow human being. Are we going to always do it perfectly? No. And that's not what God asked us to do, to do it perfectly. But it is something we're going to strive to do. Imagine if we actually lived this out. What would it actually happen is we would be that light, that city on a hill. Oh, yeah, that's in Matthew 5, too. That city on a hill that you can see from a distance. That's who we would become. This different kingdom Jesus is setting up, he says, that's who you are to be, that light and that salt. So when you read that in Matthew 5, that's what he's describing. We, you and me, ought to show that to the world we find ourselves in. When we start to be that fish swimming the other way, hey man, that person really messed you up at work today. Aren't you angry with them? Shouldn't you be like, Figuring out a way to get back at them? That's weird that you don't. You might feel pressured to do that. Like you would be justified in doing this to that person. And yet you choose not to. That's what Jesus says. You can either put this into practice or you don't have to. There's a right and wrong way. A good, bad fruit. Build on the rock or don't. He says it this way. This kind of teaching, this kind of kingdom looks like this. Enter through the narrow gate. This is chapter 7, verse 13. For wide is the gate, broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many, many enter through it. There's a big school of fish swimming this way. There's lots of them. But he says, small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life. And only a few find it. There's not lots of people that put this teaching into practice, and yet Jesus says this teaching is meaningless, it's useless, it, it has no bearing unless we actually do it, unless we actually put it into practice. That's what he's calling us to do as followers of Jesus. This alternative society, this separate kingdom, it's not about popularity, it's not being obligated to do it, it's not about human approval. It's about recognizing what Jesus has done 
for us. You know, we're getting a picture of the disciples learning about this for the first time. In Matthew 5, Jesus hasn't died yet. He's going to be teaching them and revealing to them why he's come. You and I are looking back at the cross now. We see this teaching, and we have to make a decision. What has my life with Jesus looked like? Because it's starting to not be so popular to follow Jesus. It's starting to get awkward maybe some, in some conversations at work now because of the things that Jesus teaches and believes, and as a result that we believe and because of the way we live. It's not about just showing up at church on Sunday. It's not about just trying to be an ethical person, being a nice guy. It's not about approval. It's really a heart thing. Life with Jesus for us is out of gratitude and love for what we know he's done. And when we live that way, just read Matthew 5 through 7, and imagine now, if all of us live that way, imagine a whole group of people that really tried to not hate people, to not get angry with people, to not show contempt towards their fellow human being. I'm not saying it's easy, but just imagine if all of us tried to do that. Imagine if all of us tried to love our enemy and pray for them. What kind of light, this light, this city on a hill that as far as the eye could see, could see it. And people would say, I've been living in this kingdom for a long time and it is terrible. I'd much rather live in that one. That's what Jesus is setting up here on planet earth through you and me. It's possible to experience that kingdom now. We call it the church. And life with Jesus gives that opportunity to others. If we live that way, we will be that light, that city on a hill. And so ask yourself what your life with Jesus has looked like. And is it the one that Jesus is describing here in Matthew 5 through 7? If you're not sure, I encourage you to read it because next week you have homework. Matthew 6 or Matthew 8 and 9 is your homework. You've got to read that for next week. What does life with Jesus look like for you? Because it's supposed to be done together. So as you leave today, I'm going to leave you with that challenge. Our response in living in this kingdom is because we recognize, we know what Jesus has done for us. And my response is one of gratitude, thanksgiving, and love towards him. Because Jesus says, the one who actually puts the stuff I just taught into practice is that wise person. That when storms come, when life gets really hard, you have built your house on a rock, not on sand where it all crumbles down. Let's pray. God, we are grateful, thankful for these teachings that Jesus has given us to understand what it means to live in his kingdom.
And Lord, as I read through these again, just in preparation for this, I, I just realized how amazing it is and how difficult it is at times. But God, it's, it's worth striving for because we recognize what I recognize, Lord, what you have done in my own life. God, life with you is not about popularity. It's not about obligation. It's not about human approval. Life in your kingdom uh, looks a lot different. And God, as we look like those different people, I pray that we would actually be that city on a hill. God, that the way we live our life would bear witness to the world around us of who this Jesus is that we serve. God, I pray that if someone here today that's been a part of first service, this service, watching at home, needs to really challenge themselves and what life with Jesus has looked like for them, that they would do that, God. That your spirit would remind them of what we sung about earlier, the amazing grace that you've shown us, and that they would recommit themselves to doing life with you. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.